I want to introduce to you our uh, speaker this morning. Many of you know him. Um, he was on our preaching team. But I don't know if you know, the first time that Byron Jung and I really got talking about ministry in the South Bay was six years ago. We were at a pastor's gathering. And um, after that gathering, Byron, well, during that gathering, Byron said to me, he said, hey, can we talk afterwards? And I said, sure. And so afterwards, we were at a church here in the South Bay, and we sat down at a table, and Byron said, I'm interested in church planting, and I know that you work with church planters um, throughout the western region of the United States. And I said, sure. And so I said, tell me your story, and he told me a story, and then here we are six years later. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and we're getting ready to send out Momentum Christian Fellowship. And um, we're excited today. Today is a very special today, day. After Byron uh, brings us this sermon today, we're going to ask the Momentum Christian Fellowship people to come forward and we'll just kind of assemble here and then we'll ask the staff and spouses and board and spouses to gather around them and we're going to commission them and send them out today. So today's a very, very special day for us. Byron has done some great work. He was a church planting resident here with us at Nova Community Church for nine months. Um, after that talk we had, Byron has had some starts and some stops in his journey of church planting. He was part of the boot camp that I was teaching at uh, Talbot Seminary. We did an assessment and Shireen Paredes was part of that assessment team and we assessed Byron and Christine <laughs> for that grueling, what, six or seven hours of interviews. And so this is a really a great day, and it's a momentous day for Momentum and a great day for Nova as we send them out. So I want you to welcome church planter and lead pastor of Momentum Christian Fellowship, Byron Jung. Well, we're back, right? <laughs> Good morning, and thanks for having me here this morning. It's been so long since I've been able to speak here. Uh, usually I speak right there. Uh, I, if you don't know what I mean, what I mean is it's been many, many, many months since I've spoken right here at the Sunday morning service, 10 o'clock at Nova Community Church. But I have had the opportunity to speak almost every single week right underneath the pergola with our church plant, Momentum Christian Fellowship. We've, we've been there every Sunday at two o'clock during the afternoon since, since, since May of this year. And Momentum and I, we have a lot to thank you all for as, an, as a church family. You have fostered us, you have prayed for us, supported us, you've done our children's ministry at times, helped us lead worship at times, helped us produce videos, given us wise advice to go forward as a church plant and of course during the pandemic we've been there right here meeting outdoors where a lot of churches have been sending out videos and doing live streams we've been being able to meet outdoors like all of nova has and i know like dean has said my face my kids my wife our family we're pretty familiar here probably because oh we've been here for a long time five years, closer to five than to four probably, we started this church planting vision after that talk that I had with Dean. And many of you know the story and you've tracked with our ups and downs like Dean has said. 
Church planting was our direction when we came to Nova in 2017. Seems like so long ago. And we wanted to plant with, like I said, the EV free denomination. So coming to Nova was the natural choice. Dean, of course, as he said, the head of church planting for the West region. And we almost immediately, this is what we were trying to do. We were trying to find a church planting partner to do this with. And we almost immediately did in 2017. It was full speed ahead in 2017. Well, filled out the forms, we did the assessment like we said, uh, we became part of this cohort of church planters uh, throughout EFCA. Everything was going so well, swimmingly, just ticking right along. But then, bam, we hit a roadblock. We lost that first church planting partner. That was after probably a whole year. And he decided, you know, church planting is really not the direction that God wants me to go. And so we parted ways. God bless you. And uh, it was back to square one. We started again. We gathered people looking for partnerships until we found a second church planting partner. This gentleman came all the way from the Midwest. We had months of talks and then he actually moved out here. And we hit the ground running like never before. We had, uh, we started our 501c3 nonprofit. We held events. We were even doing what we, we called kickoff services. And some of you remember those, you came to them. We had a couple of them at least that went, they were more than a hundred people. One of them was in Nova Sanctuary right here. But then things kind of went south again with the church planting partner. And we decided to go different directions. By that time, more than three years had passed. Lots of prayer, lots of asking God, what? <laughs> lots of like, why is this not easier? And then COVID, and then COVID. Actually, this last year and a half with COVID has been kind of a blessing in disguise in so many ways. We forged a partnership with Gateway Church, like you have heard before, and it, that partnership has just been full of the love of Christ and camaraderie with the gospel. We've been meeting and welcoming uh, people, like I said, out here, safely outdoors, just like Nova has been. Been forming online Zoom groups, and together we have all decided to go forward as Momentum Christian Fellowship. And now, as Dina said, we're looking for the first time on striking out on our own, cutting the cord and no longer meeting right there anymore here on Sunday afternoons, finally starting our first weekly Sunday morning services off of this campus, finally. Now we don't know exactly when that's gonna be because like I said, this whole journey has been rather bumpy. It might be in a few weeks and a little bit more than that, but we have a pathway forward. And it's been amazing to see what God has done but it has been a very, very long journey. You go to these church planting seminars, you know, and they seem to have it all together. Yeah, gather a small group, run a few services, find a location. If you build it, they will come. Just add a little bit of water and poof, you know, you get a church plant. Uh, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this has ever worked really for us. And so this morning, I wanna share what has been keeping us well, building momentum. We're going to have a lot of those puns this morning, right? Which will also be a scripture which we can all turn to whenever we feel like, you know, 
this is a long road. I want to tap out. Maybe you're sharing the gospel with a coworker or praying for a relative or just really concerned about uh, you know, sharing the love of Christ with a, a someone at school and you feel, you know, I've been on this path for a long time and maybe it's time to move, move on. It's testing my patience. Well, this encouragement is found in the book of Genesis. It's a pretty familiar passage. So if, you, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. It's Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Or in your Nova app, it'll be there as well. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Moses writes this. He's reminding us of uh, this stage of humanity's history. He says this. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, behold, they're one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now all, uh, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Okay, you're reading this, you're going, whoa, that's encouraging? How is that encouraging to anyone? Well, unless we understand the context of this incident of the Tower of Babel, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you remember your Genesis, the Tower of Babel, this incident happens right after Noah and the ark, right? This is the context. Humanity is in its infancy. It's striking out right after the big flood that destroys the whole world. And so, clean slate. Everybody is together. Everybody who has ever been is together. The whole earth. Here in verse 1, it says, all the humans that were ever, ever, they're together there. And all of humanity, they did not have a lot of commands to obey. We had already messed up rather well over the whole don't eat from the uh, tree of life business. And so if you can recall, there was really only one other mission that God had made pretty explicit to all of mankind. It's found all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. God creates us, and again, Moses, he, he tells us how God does this. He says, God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's pretty simple. We had one job. One job. Multiply and fill the earth. Strike forth, cover the earth. Is that a priority for God? Well, it's the only command that God has repeated twice so far in the history of history. If you remember, after the flood, the door, the door of the, the, the ark, it 
you know, pops open, and the only remnant of humanity emerges. And what does God remind Noah again of and his family? Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So yeah, this is kind of a big deal. This is the mandate of humanity. Fill the earth, spread out. That is the deal. And so let's go back to our passage this morning. I'm going to see just how well we handle that. We could call this part of the narrative the gathering. The gathering. After Noah, post-Noah, humanity disembarks the ark, starts to multiply, and then we come to our passage. In the beginning, it's looking pretty good. We developed technology. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. So mankind, becoming kind of ingenious. Moses is recording, we develop the smarts to build. Instead of making tents and lean-tos, we develop the ability to make permanent structures, firing bricks, building walls with tar. That's the great news. But what that leads to? Not so great news. Our first instinct, once we develop the technology to stick together, to build, is disobedience. That's our first instinct. Verse 4, they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. In other words, once we begin to develop the talent to build, we take this great invention and we use it to disobey. Again, we have one mandate as humanity, spread out, fill the earth. But humankind, because we love to be secure, we love to make a name for ourselves, we love to clump, and we love big gatherings. We build, and we stay, just so that we will not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so humanity's first city, it looks a lot, just like we fared in the Garden of Eden, Eden Right there, God gives a very simple one command. And at the very first opportunity, we look at that command and we say, Nah, I don't think so. I think we'll go the other way. We'll do exactly the opposite. Instead of multiplying and filling the earth, the people say, We're just going to build a tower just so we aren't scattered. Just so we can stay together all in one place. That's the gathering. We see how God reacts to this in our next section. We can call that the scattering. Very simple. And we're familiar with how this all ends. Much like in the garden, God comes, he observes our disobedience. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, behold, they're one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad, from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So God sees what humanity has done, not just the building of the tower, but the heart inclination to go against this one mandate that he has entrusted them to fill the whole earth. And God observes that the blessing of one language it has enabled people to accomplish this great coordinated building. One language gave us unity. 
One language gave us agreement. One language gave us kind of power in a singular culture. It kind of glued us together with purpose. But we took that blessing and we abused it. So again, just like the sin of Adam and Eve, that resulted in a curse. God issues this judgment upon humankind with this immediate moment of confusion. God supernaturally steps in and introduces multiple languages. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. This one hack into the code of humanity, this one hack into the code of humanity, stumbling our communication, fractures the unanimity of mankind. And what we were not willing to do in obedience, God accomplishes through withdrawing this great blessing. We break apart and we scatter. That's the gathering, that's the scattering. Showing us this dynamic, there's this dynamic that's repeated over and over and over again through all, all of history, throughout all of biblical history. That as humanity constantly wants to rest and we want to build nests and we want to luxurious, luxuriate in, in being, just building more uh, of our stuff together and being insular and seeking comfort, rather than stretching ourselves and growing, God calls us to go. God calls us to carry out his will. God calls us to move. Whether it's a prophet, like you've been studying the minor prophets here, a prophet who would rather sit at home and not share a message that God has given them to share with others, or a whole people who would rather stay in Egypt, like the nation of Israel, instead of taking the risk of traveling to the promised land, or even the early church itself. They would rather stay in Jerusalem and found, rather than found new churches in all the areas around them and minister to the Gentiles. They're foreign. They were different. A church that would rather not go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so they needed to be pushed out with persecution. In the Bible, this happens over and over and over again. God calls us to fill the earth with knowledge of him. God calls us to make disciples of all of the nations. But we love to create communities with our small group of friends and remain static and stable. We love security with no risks and difficulties, but also with no rewards of serving newer people in need or welcoming new people into God's kingdom. That trend begins right here in Babel, where God, his call, runs up against the comfort and the security that we as humankind seek. So where we do not go willingly, God pushes us out to conform to his original plan. The choice is clear. The choice is clear. Seek comfort or follow God's command. Seek comfort or follow God's command. That's the lesson that Babel teaches us. And it's motivational <laughs> that God is this expansive God who uses us and fills the earth and blesses us to go into all of the earth. So much so that Jesus himself did not hold on to his own position, but came into the world and answered the call to put himself aside. Go to the cross, die for our sins, for us. But we, we love security. We're kind of an insular people who want to stay and seek comfort and hoard blessing rather than share blessing. That's the big lesson of Babel. Not just the origin of the many languages, no. But the fact that God uses the confusion of language so that we're pushed out to do the will of God. And so this narrative shows us a couple of applications. 
couple applications we can take away into our own context this morning. The first is obvious, and that's question our comfort. Question our comfort. Or question, why do we value comfort so much? You know, that being comfortable, having security and rest, luxury, it's so much a part of us that when we read the story of the Tower of Babel, we don't even get the moral. I mean, we think, oh, it's about language. Oh, it's about pride. It's about cooperation. When it's all about following God's command into dangerous and uncomfortable places. When we'd rather stick to familiar places. When we'd rather stay in the same place that's secure instead of then strike out into new territory that God calls us to. Uncomfortable territory. Church planting territory. Uh, the gravity of comfort. It pulls us in when God calls us to go and do and follow and be uncomfortable in the process. And so we have to stop and think, how is my desire to be comfortable interfering with doing the will of God? How is my desire to be comfortable interfering with doing the will of God? And in this church planting uh, journey, they, you know, they put you in classes and there's so much data that you learn about church and how we develop churches and how they grow, the life cycle. It shows this struggle between comfort and calling constantly. Uh, we had this study of, of churches and, and this pattern emerges. When a, first, a church is first founded in its infant, we can call it an infant church, a new church plant, there is a lot of growth there's a lot of energy, just like kids have lots of energy and they're all running around all the time. Every member in a church plant seems to be inviting their family, inviting their friends, looking for opportunities to share the gospel. There are a lot of empty seats. And so there's impetus, one might say momentum. Every year, uh, the statistic is that for every three members in a infant church, every year there's one person who is brought to the church, who comes to an understanding of who Jesus is and accepts Christ as their Lord and their Savior. One for every three members in that infant church. That lasts for a bit, but then as the church grows and there are more people and there's more anonymity, fewer people serve, fewer people are being mentored to be leaders. Also, fewer people feel the imperative to bring people the news of Christ. We could call this kind of the middle age of the church. It's a plateauing of the church. So you have infancy, now you have middle age. Middle age occurs probably around five years after a church is founded. And remember that statistic of one person coming to Christ for every three people in the church every year? That statistic in the middle age of a church now hovers closer to one person coming to Christ for every 17 people in the church. The church is still fulfilling its, its mission. Only now, since there are more programs and people and people just attending the church, and when you come on a Sunday, more of the chairs are filled. So people don't think immediately, oh, I need to bring my neighbors. I need to bring my family. I got to invite those people every week. Perhaps the imperative, maybe the momentum, slows down a little bit. That's the second life stage of a church. The third life stage usually happens around the 10-year mark. We could call this the comfortable retirement stage of a church. It's when people have found their niche. They found the spot where they sit every week. They have friends that they talk to every week. 
the same small group that they meet with, that they're going to grow old with every week. And not much happens after that. The same programs run. They run really well, though. The programs run fantastic. But the growth of that infant stage, and especially that impact on lives for the sake of Jesus, it goes, starts to go down in that church's comfortable retirement stage. Almost all new church membership comes from what's called transfer membership. Christians who migrate from another church or from another geographical area. That's where you get kind of, oh, our, our church looks a little bit different this year. Well, because we had lots of transfer membership. Uh, and that statistic of new believers who come to Jesus every year, instead of one believer for every three or every 17 members in a church, in a church in the comfortable retirement stage, uh, now one person comes to Christ for every 100 members in the church. So if you've got a congregation of five, six, seven hundred, then on average you've got five or six or seven people coming and becoming believers in Jesus every year in the years of comfortable retirement. And yet, and yet, the goal of almost every church is to become the church in comfortable retirement. Kind of like us, we all want a nice, comfortable retirement, right? To get to the place where we're no longer struggling and get to the place where the room is full and worship is awesome and where everything runs so well and there's no need of or, or urgency or difficulty or lack of resources. But it's precisely the lack of comfort that brings the kind of invention and momentum and the kind of life that the church needs. And so we have to question what What's our goal as a church community? What are our goals as church has at all? To get bigger and more capable to run the programs or to somehow keep the dynamism growing and going? This is why the vision of momentum is yes, to plant this new church, but you know, to finally meet somewhere, but also finally to continue to plant churches, to use what momentum we have to beget more and more churches. That's the vision of momentum and also the vision of the EFCA, really, to plant church planting churches. And we're so glad that you've been involved in this with us because church planting not only establishes new growing churches, but keeps sending churches always dynamic because you're pushing people out, you're opening a few chairs, always giving and training and sending people so that there are more, more, more dynamism. There's more empty seats to fill with people who don't know Jesus yet. So first, question comfort. Question wanting to be like Babel and rather gather instead of going. Which leads to our second application, and that is maximize the mission. Maximize the mission. That here with Babel, we see that God, he's got this big vision for humanity. Oh, fill the earth. Because we're made in God's image. God wants us to go. He wants us to glorify him, show him off by being all over the place. God wants us to place his stamp everywhere, as it were. But when humankind decides to not fill the earth, God works it that people are pushed out, fulfill that initial call despite themselves. That was the initial mission that God gave people back in the Old Testament. But we know that God's mission becomes a little bit more specific in the New Testament. Jesus says after completing his mission of coming and dying on the cross for all of us and giving his life so that we might experience the love of God, he commands that we go into all of the earth and make followers for him. 
disciples of all of the nations, teaching people everything that he's taught us and bringing them into the community of Christ. That's the new mandate. That's the new mission. Question that Babel raises is, are our lives about obedience to that mission? Are we the clumpers, those more concerned about comfort and security, or are we on the task, concerned about completing the task of making more and more followers of Christ? Thinking, how can our community of believers leverage all the resources that we have to reach individuals more effectively, deepen their relationship with Jesus, train people to go and share about Jesus with us? That's why we talk about maximizing the vision, maximizing the mission, because it's having a strategy, a strategy to go, to keep, as we, we say in, at Momentum every so often, to keep going, keep growing. That's kind of like one of our taglines. When we feel like staying and stagnating, how do we keep going and how do we keep growing? The residents of Babel were strategizing about how to disobey God's mission. They're sitting down there going, how, we want to build a tower. We don't want to be scattered. How are we strategizing in order to go? Some of you know that, that while our family is on vacations, uh, one of our pastimes is we look up places to go that are uh, local escape rooms, escape, uh, try out these new puzzles. If you've never been on a, an escape room or you don't know what it is, you pay a fee and your team or your family Whoever you want to be trapped in a, a room with, you got to be very careful about that. They trap you into a room, and that room is full of puzzles. you got to solve the puzzles together in an hour into a, in, in order to escape the room. So you either escape successfully and you win, or you don't solve all the puzzles and you fail. They take a picture of you afterwards. One says you're failures. One says you're winners. Simple. Except... It's never that simple. Every room has tons of puzzles. Every room has multiple combination locks, codes to decipher, black lights that you shine on things to reveal clues. You have to look under everything, assume that everything is a hint, a door, or a puzzle. There are audio clues, there are visual clues, there are lasers to follow, like a little cat, you gotta follow these lasers, computer files to de decode. There are paintings with hidden messages hidden inside. One of our recent experiences, get this, they made you knock on a certain place on the wall in order to get to a new stage of the mystery and it had to be a certain code. You might be solving 15 puzzles, maybe 20 puzzles in the span of 60 minutes. And so in order to accomplish that goal of escaping, of getting out, you gotta have a plan. You have to have a strategy. Going in, you gotta have someone Hey, who's going to keep track of all the different combination locks and how many numbers they need? Someone's got to be a designated recorder. So all those things that we think that might be clues, that we remember them. Someone has got to watch the time. How much time do we got? Because we're, gonna, we're running against the clock. Whatever it might be, if you want to get it done, can't go willy-nilly. You have to have a strategy. And Babel? Babel sees mankind setting a strategy to disobey God. Can we take that ingenuity and have a strategy to complete the task of filling our world with followers of Jesus? And this is where we get to bring in church planting. 
In particular, Tim Keller, Tim Keller, this pastor in New York, who has been so impactful in reaching so many with the message of Christ in that city. If we want to talk strategy, he says this, the vigorous continual planting of new congregations, that's church planting, in the single most, is the single most crucial strategy for first, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city. So more believers. And number two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city, keeping your church alive and growing. Nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational counseling, church renewal process will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. So in the midst of this long road of church planting, Babel, that's our signpost. It keeps us, you gotta keep growing, you gotta keep going to keep momentum Christian fellowship, building momentum. But the question that Babel poses for all of us is will we keep on sharing the news of Jesus with our neighbors? Will we keep praying for and being concerned about our coworkers? Keep loving our relatives, inviting people to this congregation so we can open a deeper dialogue about faith with them and how Jesus and God is loving them and reaching out to the world. That's his mission. Let's pray together.